Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we give you thanks for today. We ask your blessing on our time together and as we worship you, speak to us and help us to clearly understand who you are and what it means to be your disciples. Open our hearts and our minds to receive from you what we need to receive. Where there's blockages in our thoughts, in our ideas, may your Holy Spirit interact with our spirit and make things more clearer. Where there is doubt, as we, where there is doubt, remind us that you are walking with us. Help us to continue to trust in our journey with you. That we don't need to have everything precisely clear. That your spirit is helping us and helping us grow as your disciples. In Jesus Christ we pray. Amen. Today we're talking about connecting with God, or God connecting with us is probably a better term, through baptism. Most of you have probably been baptised when you're a baby, and I don't know if anyone here can remember when they were baptised. I can't as a baby, and that's why often within a Lutheran church we often say, remember your baptism date. So you have to go back and you have to find in a few weeks' time, next week we're going to actually give out a membership update form, a friends and members update form, and one of the questions on there will be, remember... Do you know your baptism date? And there's a whole reason behind asking that date. But it's if you don't remember it, that's not huge. Um, it's just helpful to remember when God made that promise to you to say you're a child of God. And so today we're going to look at what it means to be baptised and what it means to be baptised by God. But before we do it, I have this question for you. The question is this, who are you? If someone was to walk up to you and say, who are you? How would you respond? What would your immediate responses be? In Australia, they say there's two ways people mainly respond to that question. One is they respond to it based on what they do, their, what work they do, what they, or at least what work they'd love to do. And I have this story which I find it quite interesting how some people can hold on to a particular career even though they no longer work in that. A few years ago, I, I asked a bloke, what do you do? And I knew he was a landscape gardener and he says, I'm a teacher. Well, he took a redundancy package around 20 years ago as a teacher and hasn't worked as a teacher since. And sometimes we hold on to things um, regarding our identity. So the question is, and often the question around who are you and is answered in a way of what we do, people who've grown up and lived in cities are often people who respond by that. The other way people sometimes respond about who are you as a person, is they talk about their family. You know, I'm, I'm such and such as husband or wife. I am part of this family. Right? And particularly in country, rural areas, the family connection seems to be a lot more important. And so I have a question for you to think about. How would you respond to that question if someone walked up to you after church and said, who are you? What else would you add to them? Right? Some people... Some people actually have other things they carry around. You know? and, and some people have low self-esteem and they'll use negative terms about to describe themselves. Some people continue in their own mind to call themselves a failure or a criminal because of things that have happened in the past. Some people like to talk about their successes. I, I've heard people respond to it in this way. Who are you? Well, I've achieved this. I've done this. So the question we're going to come back to at the end and it's in relation to baptism, is who are you? Now, in looking at baptism, we have a, a little challenge. 
And I say a little challenge is that for people like myself and people who are keen to follow God's way, we look to the scriptures for some clear guidance. And when it comes to baptism, you may have noticed there are two main practices in the world. There is one, one practice where churches will baptise people of all ages. Infants, uh, you know, I, I usually say to anyone who approaches me, anyone from one second old to 150 years old, we will baptise. And there's also another movement within Christianity which says you have to be at a specific age before you're baptised. And the reason that these two exist is there's no specific verses in Scripture to say baptise infants or baptise people of all ages or baptise people when they get to this age. There's nowhere in Scripture. So there is a bit of vagueness and that's what's ha- why we have the two differences um, that exist. So we need to go a bit further about looking into Scripture about baptism and what baptism's about to understand what's going on in baptism. And the first thing to have a look at is some of the stories around baptism. And one of the stories that pops up occasionally in in the scriptures is this. Whole households were baptised. One person may have believed, but then the whole household was baptised. When Lydia and the members of her household were baptised, she invited us to her home. If you consider me a believer in the Lord, she said, come and stay at my house. And she persuaded us. Lydia had heard the gospel, had come and was asked to be baptised but it was not just her, it was her whole household was baptised and for as a parent, as somebody who has a parent who, if you keep that in mind think about the consequences of that as a parent when we have our family baptised, when we have a little baby baptised we have a responsibility a responsibility to continue to nurture the faith, to pass on the faith to encourage the faith whole households were baptised the second thing, um, and this is the probably the most prominent thing is whose work is it in baptism whose work is baptism for those who baptize at a certain age usually say something along the lines of this you need to be at a certain age so you can understand what's going on and you make a decision for God well as people of the Christian faith and going back to the scriptures Have a look at what happens in baptism, what God does in baptism. That's what we're going to explore a bit further. But it's actually, from our perspective, we would say it's God's work and not ours. It's God's work in baptism and not ours. And we start off with the basic Reformation text, which comes from Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not from yourselves, it is the gift of God. So it's God's work that gives us Christian faith. It's God's work that makes us possible to be a Christian. And so that's the starting point of understanding baptism, of which way to go. The second thing is, not only is it God's work and not ours, but baptism, from 1 Peter 3.21 we hear, baptism, which corresponds to this, now saves you, not as a removal of dirt from the body, but as an appeal to God for a good conscience through the resurrection of Jesus. There's some debate within Christian circles. Does baptism actually save us? And from my perspective, I think what happens is that people sometimes try to limit, try to narrow down, try to simplify the Christian faith to the point where, do I need to be baptised? What's going on in baptism? If I go and get my head washed and pastor says a few things, am I saved? My response to that, if someone asks it like that, my response is, depends. Right? And the depends is, 
Is it done in the name of Jesus? Is it done in a way that leads you and encourages you to develop a relationship with Jesus and other disciples? And there's a whole thing we can have a discussion about that. But 1 Peter highlights that through baptism we are connected to Jesus. We are connected to God. God's connecting us to us. So baptism saves us. The third thing is, highlighting that it's God's work and not ours, comes from John chapter 15, verse 16. Jesus says, You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you so that you might go and bear fruit, fruit that will last, and so that whatever you ask in my name, the Father will give you. I'm encouraged to know that baptism is God's work and not my work. And the reason I'm encouraged about that is that when I see it as God's work, I can see the assurance, the promises that come from baptism. I can look at my baptism and say, God has been at work. He has laid a foundation, if you want to call it that way. He's placed something into my life that I can grab hold of that connects me to him. Now, I need to be very clear. I'm not talking about the ritual of baptism. We have many people who come and have children baptised and they place a lot of emphasis on the ritual. What I'm talking about is what God's doing in that ritual, uh, in baptism. And then what I take from that, that ritual. And that's important, that we don't just live as ritual. If it's just a ritual, if it's just a ritual um, that we have done, and the, the, some of the comments that I occasionally get is, oh, can I get my child done? Right? <laughs> right. Um, and I say, they're always welcome to be baptised, but we spend time with every family before a baptism, explaining the background of baptism, explaining what's involved, and explaining the future after baptism. And so if it was just the ritual, we have a problem because, again, we're turning it back into what we do or what we do before somebody else. What's important is when we have a child baptised, when we look at our baptism, we connect that God is saying some very important things and God is doing some very important things for us. So what are these things that God's doing? The first thing is, in baptism, God makes us a child of God. John chapter 1, verse 12 to 13 says, Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, children born not of natural descent, nor of human decision, or a husband's will, but born of God. When we were baptised, God is saying, You are my child. Now think about the consequences of being God's child. And probably the best way to do that is to look at a story of adoption. Have any of you seen the movie The Lion? In the movie The Lion, a young boy is found in India um, and he is lost. And I mean a young, young boy. He is lost in India. He's living on the streets at this stage, although there's a story of how he ended up on the streets, which is... um, So he's living on the streets by himself with next to nothing and he is completely lost because of circumstances. I won't give the movie away of how he arrived at that but it's worth going to see. Anyway, he's found and he's picked up and he's in an orphanage and in the orphanage have found him a family in Tasmania and this family in Tasmania adopt him and bring him in and give him all the blessings of being in a family. Not just off the street, but all the blessings that he can get from being part of that family. 
and he has a future, a future where he grows up and he goes to university and develops a career. And part of the story, he goes back home to find his biological mum. But the reality is this. We're not just born into a family which has natural flesh. We are born, born through baptism into God's family. And God says, you are my child. I want to care for you. I want to love you. I want you to be part of my family. And most of all, I want to give you the benefits, the inheritance that the scriptures often talk about in being part of my family. So when you were baptised, God was saying that to you. You are one of his children. The second thing is that God welcomes us as a disciple of Jesus. Matthew 28, verses 19 to 20, he speaks to us as the church in two ways. It speaks to us as people who receive the gift of baptism, but it also speaks to us as people who are to care, to continue to care for people who are baptised. Just before Jesus left the earth, he made this comment. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptising them in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you, and surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Being baptised, I like to call and I like to say to people, it's the start of the discipleship journey. We can, and disciples, a disciple is somebody who continues to grow in faith is open to Jesus continually teaching. That's why we encourage people to worship weekly. That's why we encourage people to have personal devotions, private devotions. That's why we encourage people to engage with God's word through connect groups. And so the importance of being a a disciple of Jesus is somebody who's being loved. Not just loved as a child, but also God is going to give us some responsibilities, some privileges, some opportunities to share this love of God that we know about, this one that accepts us regardless of who we are, to be to share that generously with others. This one I love, and I wish it was true in another sense as well, but in baptism we are given the promise that we'll be clean from sin. Acts chapter 22, verse 16 says, And now, what are you waiting for? Get up and be baptised and wash away your sins, calling on his name. Another text we're going to look at, Titus says the same thing. We get a washing and renewal. Now, I wish, I absolutely wish that if I baptised a child, they would sin no more. Wouldn't you love that? (laughs) We would have people lined up just to make sure that would not happen. But the reality is, We only have to look at our own lives to recognise that doesn't happen on earth. Well, what is God saying here that he washes you clean of sin? It's how he looks at you. Does he see you as a person who's sinned, stuffed up, messed up, got flaws, got health problems? Or does he see you as somebody who's been made righteous because of what Jesus has done? It's the way he looks at you. See, the problem is, is if we are people who go before God and God sees us as as people who are full of sin, we have no hope to have a relationship with God. Absolutely no hope. But the whole core of the gospel is this that it is through Jesus Christ that we are made righteous, that God sees us clear of sin. 
And ultimately when we get to heaven, we won't have sin in our life. But this is important for us. That God sees us as that. He judges us. He doesn't look to you and say, oh, this is the person who failed, or this is the person who swore, or this is the person who cheated on their spouse, or this is the person who's robbed somebody, or this is the person who's not, who's got anger issues. He doesn't look at you that way. He looks at you and says, you're my child of God, you're one of my disciples, and because of Jesus, I see you as righteous. You are clear of sin. Also in baptism, God gives us the gift of his Holy Spirit. In Titus chapter 3, verse 5, he says this, He saved us, not because of the righteous things we had done, but because of his mercy. He saved us through the washing of rebirth and renewal by the Holy Spirit. God has saved me and you, but he's not only saved us, he's given us his Holy Spirit. Just before Jesus left the earth, it was absolutely crucial that he shared with him that God's spirit would continue on earth. And he actually said to the disciples, stay here, don't do everything. It's, my, it's the worst text I have to preach on because I like an active Christianity. I like a Christianity where people go and do stuff and respond to God's love. And this text comes up all around Pentecost and it says, just wait, stay here, do nothing but you've got to read a bit further, until you receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Well, the good news, folks, we've all been given that gift at our baptism. We don't have to sit on our backsides and do nothing. We've got an opportunity to respond to God. And what is God's Spirit? It's understanding God's way of life. Some people have asked me in the past, how do I know if I've got God's Spirit? Well, I ask two questions. First of all, have you been baptised? And the second question is this. Go to Galatians. What are the fruits of the Spirit? You may have God's Spirit, but you may be suppressing God's Spirit in your life. Right? Think about the fruits of the Spirit. Kindness, gentleness. Every day I can look at those fruits and probably pick one of them out that I've got to ask. I've got to confess sins. There's also a third thing that the Scriptures highlight, which I should probably ask people, is that Do you believe Jesus is your Lord and Saviour? Because the scriptures actually say to us, the only way, the only way, and as we discussed in the third article of the Apostles' Creed, the only way we can have faith is by having the Holy Spirit. The only way that we can call on Jesus as Lord and Saviour is to have God's Spirit. And so in baptism, God is giving us gift of the Holy Spirit. The whole area of the Holy Spirit, you know, I could preach six weeks on the Holy Spirit, and talk about that more. But one of the crucial things is, as baptised children of God, we receive the gift of the Holy Spirit, but we also need to be constantly filled with the Holy Spirit. And what does that mean? Is to constantly be in relationship with God. So you go back to being a disciple and those things that put you in contact with God. Listening to God's word, worshipping regularly, being having private devotions, being part of connect group where God's word is being discussed, are all important for us to continually be filled and reminded of God's Spirit. Next gift that God gives us is he welcomes us. He welcomes us into his church. When we think about church, we sometimes limit the thinking of church. Sometimes we think church is this building. And I can easily tell people 
tell where people are at when their church is depends on what decisions we make as a congregation. If we decided to close this building and move to another and you stopped coming to church, your definition of church is often around this building. Sometimes we limit it to a denomination. So it's simply the Lutheran church. In baptism, God welcomes you into his church, the big, broader family of church. And so we accept, if somebody joins us from another denomination, we don't say they have to be baptised again. They're already part of God's church. We may have a, a, we will have a, a training, a small bit of training and teaching to help them understand what it means to be part of our congregation. But in baptism, God accepts us into our church. And, and the scriptures say there's only one baptism, one faith, and that's why we follow that. So anybody who's been baptised in a Christian church, we don't ask to be rebaptized because they're already part of God's church. And that's important for us to think about. The church, the scriptures that talk, the church talks about is the big, broad church of God. Not a specific location, not a building, not an institution, but the big, big, broad people of God. 1 Corinthians 12 says this, For we were all baptised by one spirit, so as to form one body, whether Jews or Gentiles, slave or free, and we're all given the one spirit to drink. Even so, the body is not made up of one part, but of many. Everybody who calls on Jesus, who relies on Jesus, is part of God's church. Now, practically, in our congregation, this means that everybody who is part of our, the congregation is part of God's church. And that just doesn't mean you have a right to receive things from God, but it also means you have a calling to be active in the areas that God has gifted you. And finally, and most importantly, in baptism... God gives you the gift of eternal life. Mark chapter 16, verse 16 says this, Whoever believes and is baptised will be saved, but whoever does not believe will be condemned. John 3, 16 to 19 goes on to say, People condemn themselves simply by having unbelief. Our role is not to go to people, you're going to hell can tell you in this culture that doesn't go well too much. But our role is to share God's good news and to share with people that if they want to have eternal life, life with God, that it is through Jesus. And baptised, God gives us this gift of eternal life. And so a question sometimes arises and people say, oh, if I've been baptised, I can then do whatever I want. I don't even have to faith. And I've actually had someone say to me, I have been baptised, but I don't believe in God, but I'll be in heaven. And I kind of scratch my head. I go, that doesn't really make sense. And why would you want to be in heaven if you don't believe in God? Here's the deal. Have a look at Mark 16. What does it say? Whoever believes and is baptised will be saved. At baptism, God gives you the gift of eternal life. And here's the deal. We can turn away from that gift of baptism. We can turn away from the gift of eternal life. We can go and do our own things. God won't stop loving us, won't stop wanting us to know his good news. However, if we die without belief, we won't be saved. We won't take hold of that gift. It's a little bit like 
somebody give, like your dad giving you cars to the key at 16. Here, here's the cars to the key, keys to the car. Keys to the car, right? And you put them on your shelf because you've got to wait to 18 before you drive it by yourself. And you never actually use the keys, right? It means you never get the benefit of that car. And some people in baptism come along, be baptised, were baptised at a young age, and then they never, for whatever reason, use the gift, the blessings that come through baptism. They never remain connected with God and allow God to continue to remind them of the love they have. Allow God to give a perspective of life that God wants them to give, wants them to have. And so in baptism, we keep in mind, God gives us this gift of eternal life. So back to the question, who are you? When Martin Luther at one stage was talking about baptism, he made this comment. He said, there's no point talking about I was baptised, because that's in the past. Baptism has a very important current day, present day, everyday effect. He used to say, I am baptised, meaning I am a child of God. God has done something for me. And he used to also say, every day we should revisit the baptism. At one stage he said, when you wash your face with water, use that as a reminder that you have been been baptised by God. And when you do, repent of those things which are not of God and ask God's help to live for those things that are of God. And so, who are you? You are baptised. Secondly, you are a child of God. You can walk around knowing that you are a child of God. Thirdly, you're a disciple of Jesus. Somebody who is always growing. And there's a number of ways we grow as disciples of Jesus. One is, importantly, about continually learning. Opening the scriptures and allowing God to speak to us. The other way is about reflecting on our daily life. Thinking about our daily life what happens each day, and asking the question, has that been of God or has that been not of God? And where it has not been of God, repent. And where it has been of God is thank God that he has been working in us. And when we repent is then we ask for God's help. God's help to live differently. We don't have to do this thing of being a Christian by ourselves. God has given us his spirit. He has given us his church, other people to help us. Fourthly, you are righteous because of Jesus. And that is important to underline. You are righteous because of Jesus. We live in a world today that everybody wants to be righteous, wants to say how good I am. This is what I've achieved. This is why, oh yeah, I did this wrong, but this is the reason why. That's the world we live in, right? We always have to be on the front foot to show how good we are. If we live that way with God, we've missed the point. The point is through scriptures, the continual reminder that our only hope, our only chance of being righteous, to be seen good, is to rely on what Jesus has done. Fifthly, we are people who receive the Holy Spirit. We receive today our baptism and God's spirit wants to continue to help us, continue to speak to us. Six, we're a member of God's church. 
Think about what that means. Where people who come to church as a community come together with others. And what's interesting in the New Testament is the encouragement is not just not to come together for your own benefit, but to come together for the benefit of others so that they may spiritually grow, to encourage them in their journey with Jesus. Being a member of God's church is about us receiving stuff, but it's also about contributing to God's, God's plan of bringing his good news into the world. And lastly, and most importantly, we are citizens of heaven. And I love this thing. I love this thing of thinking about that I'm a citizen of heaven. Where do my loyalties lie? Do they lie on the ideas and the thinking of this world? Or do they lie on the ideas and thinking of God? As you live your life as somebody who has been baptised, and if you haven't been baptised, I invite you to talk to me about the opportunity to be baptised. But as you live your life as somebody who's been baptised, Remember what God has done for you, but not only what God has done for you, but what God is doing for you, and importantly, what God will do for you. Because there's a place in heaven that he has prepared and made possible for you. Let us pray. Gracious Father, continue to pour down your spirit on us. Continue to open our hearts and our minds to who you are and what it means to be your disciples. Heavenly Father, we thank you We thank you that through the waters of baptism where you have connected us with your word and therefore with yourself, you have made these promises to us. Heavenly Father, open our hearts to continue to live as your child, to live as your disciples. And loving Father, also help us as your church to continue to nurture others who have been baptised, to encourage them, to share the word with them, to help them in their relationship with you and with each other. And gracious Father, as we look forward, we look, help us to look forward with hope. Hope that is focused on what you have done for us and what you are making possible for us. In Jesus Christ we pray. Amen.